This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I want you to go back in time with me. It's sunrise. It's the year 200 A.D. It's Easter morning. The church is only about 150 years old after Christ's ascension, the teaching of the apostles. There's only been about four generations of Jesus followers. It's the year 200 A.D. It's Easter morning. All throughout the course of the night, a gathering of men and women have been in fasting and in prayer. They've been looking forward to this moment for quite some time. They've been reviewing passages and instructions that they received throughout the course of their catechism. They've been in fasting, wrestling with their own sinfulness and their own brokenness, reviewing promises that they've learned, praying together, Rehearsing the Psalms together. They don't have Bibles. They're not carrying Bibles around. Everything that they know they have memorized, internalized. And now sunrise has come. It's Easter morning. They're going to get baptized. An elder from the community comes to the room where they gathered for prayer and for fasting, for their nightly vigil. The men are going to go off to one room. The women go off to another room so that they can all prepare. The men strip down, they wear nothing, and one at a time they're led down into a baptismal font. They go down a few steps into a big pool of water. And the elder of the community asks them, one at a time, do you believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? I believe. They're immersed in the water and they come back up again. He asked them, and do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord? I believe. He's immersed in the water, comes back up again. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe. And they're plunged back down into the water, and they rise again. Three times for the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They come out of the pool, one at a time. Dried off, anointed with oil, symbolizing the washing and the immersion of the Holy Spirit. Now, placing them into the body of Christ. They're given a new robe, and they walk into a new room that they've never been in before, where they will receive communion with their brothers and sisters in the faith for the first time. Can you imagine the emotion? Can you imagine the feeling? They know what they are entering into. They've been immersed now into the kingdom way of life. For some of them, their family has completely written them off following a cult. Many of them very aware of the cultural pressure that they're going to receive, the political pressure that they're going to see. They've seen Jesus' followers persecuted and killed, but they know no other way because Jesus alone has the words of life. 
Do you believe? I believe. What do you believe? What do you believe at your core that shapes your every action and your every movement, your thinking, your feelings, your relationships? What do you believe at your core that shapes everything that you do that's at that level of your being? You'll die for it. You'll choose that over family. You'll choose that over job. You'll choose that over security. You'll choose that over financial gain. I believe this. I believe. Last week, if you weren't able to be with us, we learned that there are certain core things that we as Christians, followers of Jesus, believe Things that were passed on from Jesus to the apostles to the church and have been passed on now for 2,000 years. They would call it the teaching. They would uh, call it the tradition or they would call it um, the good doctrine. Things that were passed on to us that we hold at a core that shape what we do, how we do it, why we do it. These are not things that are unique to a Baptist or a Methodist, or a Catholic. These are things that we all hold dear, that make us one. For I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. For 2,000 years, we have said something like that. In fact, in your notes, I want you to write that down. Fill this in. First, I believe. I believe. I believe in what? I believe in God, the Father. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe. In God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Would you say that with me? I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We're going to say it again, but as you say it, hear yourself saying it within the symphony of the church. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We're going to say it again. Hear yourself saying it within the symphony of the church, within 2,000 years of brothers and sisters saying the same thing. I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. For almost 2,000 years, we've said that individually, whether at a baptism or a commitment 
We've said it corporately within the fellowship of the faith. It's a declaration. It's a declaration of dependence. I recognize publicly I need God who is my father. I am not the center of the universe. The world does not rotate around me. It's a declaration of dependence, while at the same time, a declaration of defiance. I don't follow the world. I don't value what the world values. I don't chase after what the world chases after. I believe in God the Father. He is almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth. This forms a part of what we call the creed. And there have been through the course of church history different creeds. Maybe you grew up reciting the Nicene Creed. How many of you remember that? It starts off, we believe, right? We believe. It's awesome. Good words. The Apostles' Creed, I believe. At its core, goes back to the first 200 years of the church. We're talking about statements of belief that we've held on to and cherished for almost 2,000 years. So let's take that apart today because what you believe matters. Because the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, these are the things that you're to be trained in. These are the things that you're to teach. These are the things that you're to commit to. This is what you are to be devoted and this is what you should guard. We talked about that last week. Father, let's take that apart. Father. In Matthew chapter six, verse nine, the apostles, they come up to Jesus and say, hey, you know, John teaches his followers to pray. You're going to teach us how to pray? Like, what's the deal, man? You're slacking a little bit. Uh, how you pray? Jesus, pray then like this. Our. Yeah, that's it. Because your prayer begins with these two words. Our Father. Jesus is not inventing an idea. He's not initiating something that's brand new. He is tapping into a theological truth that transcends and saturates all of Scripture. You can go very back to the verse parts of the Bible. Go back to the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God presents himself to Israel as, I'm your father, you are my children. Jews would struggle with the notion of approaching God as father, but Jesus, when he's going to anchor his followers in a spiritual reality, says, when you pray, you pray out of this reality, our Father. It tells us that God exists in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because to have a father, you need to have a... I didn't become a father until I had a son. And to be a son, you have to have a father. God exists within the course of relationship, in the context of relationship. There's eternal community in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Deep waters. We're not going there today. It's going to get deep enough as it is. God exists as Father. But not just exists in relationship, invites me into relationship. Think about that. God invites me in. Come to the table. I'm Father. I know what you're thinking, but Paul, it's 2022. 
we don't need any of that gender stuff. You're just, isn't it kind of further propagating the male chauvinism and patriarchal junk in the Bible? Haven't we gotten past that now? Seriously. Maybe God isn't father. Can't God also be mother? Or maybe God doesn't want to be gender bound. Maybe God's a they. Well, let's ask ourselves some honest questions. Can you say that? If you can say that God is father, can't you say that God is mother? Because God is not gendered. God does not have male parts or female parts. God is spirit. So if you can say one, can't you say the other? Because we, we don't want to offend anybody. You have to ask yourself, well, is that how Jesus would operate? Do you read in the Gospels Jesus placating to culture? Do you read Jesus playing to the crowd? Did Jesus have a habit of conceding to whatever the political, theological whims were of the people around him? Or did Jesus have a habit of offending people? Was Jesus intentional with everything that he did? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Jesus despite culture, would welcome in women to his class, wouldn't he? What didn't he? When women would not be welcome to sit at the feet of rabbis, Jesus, hey, come, you learn. Jesus would welcome the outcast and the ostracized. Jesus would welcome the ones that culture had pushed away. Jesus did not play to culture. And so what is it at play when Jesus says, when we approach God, we approach God as our father? What is it about father that cannot be said about mother? Okay, this is not me by any means impugning upon the beauty and the righteousness of motherhood. It's not what I'm saying at all, okay? Do you hear me? Email me all you want. Motherhood is beautiful. It's sacred. But is there a difference between motherhood and fatherhood such that father says something that mother does not? I think three important things. Three important things. To say father is to recognize source. Father gives life. Mother receives life. Think of the moment of conception, right? Father gives, mother receives. To say that God is father is to say that God is the giver and the source of life. The giver of all good things. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, Verse 6, just if you wanted a verse to meditate on and think on along these lines. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. The Apostle Paul is contrasting what we believe versus what culture believes and all of its false idols and other gods. And he says, but yet, listen, he says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom they exist. 
Everything comes from Father because the Father is the source. But also in fatherhood similarity, right? To say that that is my father is to recognize that there's something similar. When we were home this last week, home where we grew up, Elise and I grew up back in northwestern Pennsylvania. We were sitting around the dinner table, and one of my sister-in-laws was in the house, and she walked by, and she says, hey, I see you sitting there, and I see your dad in you. I see your dad. How I was sitting, or how my face was, or whatever it was. Why? Because my father and I share similarity. There's something similar between me and my father. There's something similar between our father and us. It's learning to grow into that so that there's more similarities, right? And there's more in common. But not just similarity. With father, there's also separateness. A separateness. Or in theological terms, what we call transcendence. God is over. Father is over. Okay? In that, that the moment of conception, okay, the new life and the mother are one, right? They're one. Father is outside of that. Father is separate from that. And there is an aspect to walking in relationship with God the Father that recognizes he is over, he is other. There is a difference. There's a separateness that is to be respected. So when I say our Father, when I pray our Father, when I approach God as Father, I'm recognizing that he is source, he is similar, we are similar, but there's also a separateness. God's not to be genders. It's not a gender thing. God does not have male parts versus female parts. Are there times in Scripture that uh, metaphors of motherness are ascribed to God? Sure. There's a moment when Jesus is looking over Jerusalem, and this is in Matthew 23, and he says, oh, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. Did Jesus have a gender crisis in that moment? Did Jesus think that he wasn't sure if he was a man or a woman in that moment? No. What is he doing? He's using a metaphor. I want to protect you and care for you and nurture you like a mother chicken cares for her chicks. That's not to say that Jesus thought he was a chicken. Okay? Okay? I say God is Father because the Bible says God is Father. Jesus said God is Father. Historically, though, if you wanted to locate Mother in the whole mix of things, what would you look to? You want to say it? You probably want to say it. Somebody who comes from a high church background, what is Mother? The church is Mother, right? Right? Because it's in the context of this where we are nurtured and we receive and we grow. Okay? Our Father. Our Father. Almighty. There you go with the patriarchal power thing again. Is that what we're saying? In 2,000 years, are we, are we shoving the power of God down our throats? No. This is not a declaration of coercion. This is a declaration of capacity. What our Father does, and notice it's Father Almighty, not Almighty Father. Because it comes to the filter of a loving, caring Father. Jesus, in John chapter 5 and John chapter 10, is getting railed on by the Pharisees. 
And he basically, he says things like this. He says, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you look at what I am doing, you know what the Father is all about. Because I'm doing my Father's business. My Father's working, I'm working. So if I want to understand the almighty of God and what that means, I need to look at what are the things that Jesus would do. How would Jesus be manifesting that power? Jesus would heal. Jesus would give life. He'd give sight. He'd take the broken pieces and he'd put them back together again. He found individuals that society had cast aside and he drew them in. He broke through cultural barriers, physical barriers, emotional barriers, relational barriers. He put his hands on lepers and made them whole. In doing so, what you see me doing is what the Father does. I'm about the Father's business. This is what it means to say that God is almighty. He is the giver of life. He's loving. In James, another passage, writing on passages to meditate on uh, after this message. In James chapter 1. James 1, verse 17. James, the half-brother of Jesus. James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Let me show you this in another passage if you want to look at a, a psalm in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 historically has been a psalm that many Christians will pray before they go to bed at night. Good words to fall asleep to, much better than your Facebook feed. But I'm sure you made resolutions about that this year. Psalm 91. I just want to read it for you. And, and as I'm reading it, would you have um, the, this, this core belief in the back of your mind? Hear this psalm through the filter of our Father, who's almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And see how things might jump out to you. Also think about an eagle that has a big nest high up in the mountain. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High abides in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you'll find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Did you hear the, the bird language? The pinion language? The cover you wings language? Did you know in eagles, who watches over the nest? Mommy or daddy? They both do. They both do. As I look up into the mountains and I see the mighty in their nests, and I know how they care. When I come under the care of the Most High, you are my refuge. I'm under the shadow of 
the shelter of, I abide in your space. You are my rock. You are my refuge. I don't have to worry about the fowler's snare. I don't have to worry about something catching me or pulling me down. I don't have to worry about deadly pestilence. If you remember um, back in 2020, when things were beginning to shut down, we gathered as a faith community and we, we read through Psalm 91. Why your faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Because the almightiness of God has to happen within the context of a father relationship. That God, you are source. God, we are similar, but yet we're separate. God, you are fathering over me and with you comes power. My dad's stronger than your dad. Right? What are the implications for life? Just that, that, that fact. If I were to think on, meditate on that reality on a daily basis, how might I live differently? I believe in God the Father Almighty. Maybe things are difficult at work. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Who sees me, who knows me, covers me with his wings. Who is the source of all good things. Just came out of Christmas, New Year's, family relationships, right? That can get jacked up, right? That's not necessarily a delight. Things can get said. Things can be done. I can feel isolated. I can feel alone. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I don't know how things are going to get I don't know how bills are going to get paid. I'm committed to obedience. I'm committed to staying underneath his wing and underneath his care. I don't know how things are going to get paid. I don't know how they're going to get better. I believe in God the Father Almighty. And then it goes a little bit farther. What? Maker of heaven and earth. In the time when the church is learning to proclaim this together, God is maker of heaven and earth. There are certain philosophies that are trying to sneak in the back door. Wolves that want to come in amongst the sheep. One of them is a Greek philosophy that says the body is evil, that what is physical is wrong. You want to try to escape the body. You want to try to escape what's physical because what's beyond is better. Even to this day, that can kind of work itself into the church, can it? We just got to get free of the body and we're good to go. Is that consistent with what we see Jesus doing in his ministry? Was Jesus trying to get us free of the body? What was Jesus always doing? He was healing our bodies. He was feeding our bodies. He was ministering to the whole person. Why? Because God's the creator of the whole person. And my humanity includes this flesh part. Now, does it want to get me in trouble sometimes? Absolutely. Yes. In the same way my heart wants to get me in trouble. And my mind wants to get me in trouble. And my emotions want to get me in trouble. But by declaring corporately, 
He's the maker of heaven and earth. We are recognizing God's divine stamp of creation. God made me. He cares about me. He sees me. He acts for me. To say that God is almighty is to declare his capacity. To say that God is maker of heaven and earth is to recognize the creator's concern for me. There's a series of psalms called the Songs of Ascent or the Songs of Rising in the book of Psalms. It starts with Psalm 120. They're the declaration psalms that are proclaimed and sung as you're coming up the hills to Jerusalem on your way to temple. They're worship songs of preparation. They're not too long. They start with repentance. Some describe what the city looks like. Some describes the mountains that are surrounding the city. Some talk about the walls. Some talk about the temple. Some talk about the priests inside. It's about preparing yourself to come before. They're beautiful. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So I lift my eyes up to the hills. What's on the hills? Well, depending on the given time where I'm growing up in and around Jerusalem, they could have been filled with false altars and false gods and false idols where people would go up on the mountains to make their sacrifices. Because I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Am I going to find it in those false gods and those false idols? I will not. I lift up my eyes to the Lord. Why? He's the maker of heaven and earth. He has concern for me. He cares for me. To declare that is to anchor myself in this fatherling relationship that God has with his creation. If you want to put it all together, look at John 3.16, which many of you memorized at some point in your faith if you grew up in church. John 3, let's, back, let's all go there. John 3.16. Say it with me. For I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. John 3.16. Hear these words through the filter of that core belief. This is what the gospel sits on. Your salvation is rooted in the reality that God is Father, He is capable, He is concerned. John 3.16. For God so loved. Let's stop there. Loved. Why does he love? Why is that love word there? Well, what do I know about God? What do I believe about God? Father. Father. So loved what? The world. Right? Why is that there? He's the maker of heaven and earth. Of course he has concern. He created it. He made it. How many of you have had or have children who are sick? Sick to the point where I don't know how this is going to get better. Sick to the point where um, no one's bringing me solutions, no one's paying attention. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. God created this. God created this, the maker of this. 
And let's be honest, it's more than a little broken. And maybe you, Father, like I do sometimes, I will give my kids the opportunity, hey, you clean your room, okay? Then I'm going to clean your room. Or it gets to a place where it's beyond their capacity. Garbage disposal went out in the sink. Dad, it's making a sound. All right. I see a kid grabbing a fork ready to go down the garbage disposal. (laughs) Breaker box. Yeah, breaker box. (laughs) This is beyond our capacity. Are we still responsible to be a part of the solution? Yes. But by the grace of God, he is the maker of heaven and earth. For God so loved the world that what? He gave. What was the solution? What is the almighty solution to the problem? The giving of his son, the sacrifice of God himself. That whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it. We're not going to condemn it. Why? We love it. We care for it. We want to see it restored. But in order that the world might be saved through him. If you love the gospel, then you believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. So believe it. Walk in it. If we took the four words that we learned last week, and if you weren't able to be here, you can go to whoishouseontherock.com. If you take the four words that we learned last week from Timothy, that we're to train in it, that we're to teach it, that we're to commit to it, that we're to guard it, how does that affect this core belief? How do I train in? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Maybe I didn't have a good dad. Maybe I don't have a good dad. Maybe my dad's jacked up. Maybe my dad has really met up and messes everything up. I think the holy provision for God within the grace of that belief makes room for that brokenness. Meaning the answer isn't setting aside the fact that I come to God as Father. That's not the solution. But embracing the reality that He is the perfect Father, the perfect source of life. And like I train, like you have to go to the gym and train and and you push the weights and and you run and you do things that are hard that shape you and form you and make you. I let this belief shape me and form me and make me. I meditate on it. I don't resist it. I don't run from it. I I, I grab a hold of it. And I ask for help. This is hard. You know what dad did. You know what dad said. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And you let the grace of God meet you in that space. Okay? That's what it means to be trained by it. What about teaching it? How do I teach that? 
In my home, I saturate, I saturate the room with it. We pray to our Father, and we say the Our Father. And we rehearse our belief in our Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We read verses together. Dad, how is God our Father? How about you our Father? Damn, Dad, that doesn't make sense. I know. Let's figure it out together. I pass it on. I don't hide from it. When culture is trying to squelch and suppress fatherhood, I proclaim that God is my Father. Because I understand the freedom that comes with truth and the life that comes with truth. I commit to it. I commit to it. I guard it. No. We're praying this. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. We're embracing this. Because this is what Jesus taught us to do. I want to read one more psalm for you. This is Psalm 95. Again, I want you to see if you can hear the words that we've said this morning coming out in Psalm 95. Historically, Psalm 95 is a psalm that Christians read first in the morning. It's a morning psalm. I think you'll see why. If you're looking for a, a new way to start the year, to start the day, maybe in addition to proclaiming our Father, your allegiance to, maybe reading Psalm 95. It goes like this. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. I think that noise word's really helpful, especially for those of us who don't think we sing very well. Just make joyful noise. Let's just let it rip. Joyful noise. In a little bit, I want to hear a lot of noise from you. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Why? For the Lord is great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Maker of heaven and earth. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah or on the day of Massah in the wilderness when our fathers put him to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That kind of took a turn, didn't it? I mean, we're going real good there for a while. I think we're going to sing some happy songs. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Don't do wrong things or you die. <laughs> you maybe can understand why this psalm is read on a daily basis. Come, let us make a joyful noise to the Lord, our maker. Don't forget. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. 
He says, do you remember at Meribah? Do you remember at Massah? Those are geographical locations where Israel defied against God. Says, you're not taking care of us. We're better off going back to Egypt. God brought them water from a rock. He says, these people are corrupt in their heart. They're not going to enter the promised land. And 40 years later, they died before they reached the promise. He says, don't be like that. So maybe as you meditate on that psalm, Psalm 95, maybe this week, maybe read it every day. Read Psalm 95 every day. It's only like 11 verses. You can do that, right? I mean, you know how long you're going to be on Facebook today. Take Psalm 95 and think through, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That means I'm going to come before God with praise. I want to come before God with thanksgiving. God, thank you for all that you've done. You are an almighty maker, creator, lover of me. I know how jacked up I am. And you've never left me. God, I confess I have wandered. God, I confess I have strayed. God, I confess I am a hot mess. Thanks be to God. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our HOPE team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.